Today's podcast episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. And right now, listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Visit ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator to post your job listing for free. Recovery Elevator, episode 159. And I came to the conclusion that it's a hell of a lot easier to stay sober than it is to get sober. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator tracker, I've been sober for 1,257 days. On today's podcast, we've got Jim. He's 47 years old from Waukegan, Illinois, and he's been sober since December 12th, 2017. And I love how he uses the phrase, the struggle was between my ears to describe his drinking. It's a great interview, so stay tuned. And before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Hey guys, I've, uh, I've got to tell you something, and this is hard to say. I've been wrestling with how to come forward with this information for quite some time now. I keep telling myself that being vulnerable and taking ownership of this issue is somehow ironically empowering and, and I just need to do it. Well guys, he, here it goes. Well, hang on, let me, let me first take a drink of water first. Um, hang on. All right, here, here goes. Guys, I have, I have a major case of ED. Oops, I uh, dropped my pen there. Uh, ooh, that that was a little embarrassing. And not not to say that having ED should be embarrassing, but it was embarrassing because I actually meant to say something else. Okay, let's let's let's, let's back it up a little bit. I have EDR, not to be confused with EDDR or Electronic Dance Dance Revolution, otherwise known as the culprits why I didn't have a girlfriend till my senior year of high school. And no, not the EDR. I'm not making an announcement saying, "Hey guys, today is Election Day registration." Or saying, hey guys, I finally have my EDR or my electronic dental records. And by now, you're probably saying to yourself, gosh, dang it, Paul, just get on with it already. And I can visualize you picking up your media player. Your index finger is inches away from the forward, skip, or stop this stupid podcast button. So here it is. I have EDR or enhanced dopamine receptors. Yep, I've got a major case of it. It turns out, I was born with enhanced dopamine receptors, or EDR. In the Recovery Elevator podcast, episode 75, I mentioned how I'm breaking up with the word alcoholic. But just how most breakups aren't always clean breaks, here I am finding myself wanting to break up with the word again. And I'm certain you'll hear me use the word alcoholic in the future around guests who surprisingly aren't versed with EDR. <laughs> or you'll hear me use alcoholism or some similar term. 
and I still go to AA meetings. And although I don't necessarily want to say, my name's Paul, I'm an alcoholic, it's their custom and I need to respect that. So I've never liked the word alcoholic. It's such a defining word. You say the word alcoholic, go ahead and try it, and then wait a couple seconds and see what words flow into your brain. It's usually the last word in sentences. Yeah, my cousin Rick, he's an alcoholic, period. It's a word that always ends that sentence. Being an alcoholic, sure, I am one, but it doesn't define me. So I've wanted to find a new way to describe this, which is why I'm breaking up with the word alcoholic again. And like I just mentioned, you're going to hear me use the word alcoholic in the future, but I'm going to do my best. And I think the reason why my first breakup with the word alcoholic wasn't successful and didn't stick, well, it was because I didn't fill the void. I didn't find another word. I didn't coin another term to replace the word alcoholic. So that's what I'm planning to do now. So just like I did in high school when for four unsuccessful years, I tried to implement a new handshake with my bros, with my buddies, with my group of friends. I tried for four years to implement this sweet handshake and it never took. And that might be the same result with EDR, but you heard it here first. I'm going to try to coin the term EDR. Again, I didn't make up the three word combination of enhanced dopamine receptors, but that's the word that I want to use moving forward to describe me being an alcoholic. Damn it. I broke up with that word, but you get the point. I'm planning on using the word EDR instead of the word alcoholic, alcohol addict, alcohol use disorder. And you may notice how it's not EDRS, enhanced dopamine receptor syndrome, or EDRD, enhanced dopamine receptor disorder. Well, that's because there's nothing wrong with us. In fact, this genetic characteristic, when harnessed properly, is like a human superpower that we're born with. We were the ones who evolved. We were the ones who walked a little further for fire, for food, or to find a mate, while others, without EDR, simply took permanent naps in the snow, or waited till the next moon for their next meal that usually never came. We were the ones that evolved, that made it further on this planet. Ironically, in today's world, someone with EDR, well, it can kind of backfire. We have a genetic predisposition to experience alcohol differently. We actually enjoy it more than normal drinkers due to EDR. And if you find yourself wondering if you perhaps have EDR, here are some questions you can ask yourself. Have you ever considered yourself to be a striver for achievement as well as someone who demonstrates high productivity and motivation? Does your baseline state involve a certain degree of anxiety or stress? Have you ever felt agitated, possibly even anxious after sobering up? Did consuming alcohol cause you to experience high energy that maybe even bordered on euphoria or led to insomnia? Have you ever found yourself confused by still feeling compelled to take a drink even when you are convinced that you don't want to take a drink? Have you found it increasingly difficult to stop drinking after starting? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you may, like me, have a condition known as EDR or enhanced dopamine receptors. EDR has been identified as a possible contributor to an accelerant of alcohol addiction and it's also considered to be a very likely candidate for an SNL pharmaceutical ad sketch. EDR can exaggerate the effects of alcohol in the brain so much that the high feeling induced by consuming alcohol tricks the brain into thinking the alcohol is making you feel great. In reality, those enhanced dopamine receptors are activating the reward center of the brain and gradually rewiring it to need alcohol and increasingly more and more of it to feel that same fake great feeling. The effect is that you keep drinking more to experience the same dopamine release, but at the same time, you're actually altering other brain chemicals, such as ones that are enhancing feelings of depressions. 
Wait a second, having EDR or enhanced dopamine receptors might also enhance my brain's propensity for becoming addicted? Now that's just not fair. What can I do to combat this? Brought to you by the makers of Sailboat Fuel, there's now Airvacid. Taken as needed, when your brain needs to be reminded that alcohol is, in fact, shit, Airvacid works by distracting the EDR-inflicted brain with other means of exercising those motivations and fulfilling the need for stimulation and reward. Patients who take Airvacid consistently have reported a decreased desire to drink poison and an increased desire to find other cool shit to do that helps gradually rewire their dopamine receptors to recognize those good things as pleasure and reward. The dosage of Airvacid depends on the day. In a trial study, the patient's dosage needs of Airvacid varied from once per day to well over 20, depending on the type of day they were experiencing and how strong their addicted brain was screaming at them. The good news is that Airvacid is unlike any other drug in that it does not need to be moderated. In fact, the more Airvacid, the better. Clinical studies are showing that Airvacid can help alpine climbers reach the summit of Everest 24 times faster. Note, Airvacid is pending FDA approval, and to keep in line with the efficacy of our healthcare system, Airvacid will likely cost $2,000, or way more than you think it should cost. Airvacid is not covered by most insurance companies. In fact, no insurance companies will cover Airvacid. Warning, side effects of Airvacid may include loss of regular morning anxiety and desperate rehydration routine, sleeping a consistent eight hours, increased pleasure from healthy activities, sudden onset of desire to do activities you didn't even know you wanted to, confusion due to more dollars in your bank account, less weddings ruined, drastic slowdown to your collection of Taco Bell receipts, Users noted experiencing hunger at oddly normal times of day, such as breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Enhanced memory due to not blacking out. Having too much free time to do cool things. Breaking fewer things on purpose. Yelling fewer incoherent insults at the guy you're pretty sure just said thank you, but it was in the wrong tone of voice. Not getting to watch movies twice because you can't remember the first time you saw it. Sudden feelings of disgust towards alcohol. Ask your doctor about Airvacid. Most likely, he or she will have never heard of it. And if they have, and they prescribe it, you're not going to be able to afford it anyways. Boom. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun making it. I like to say thank you to Tamara P. from Cafe RE Blue for helping me create that. We both had a fun time making that. And as I mentioned earlier, this podcast episode is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. In need of great talent for your business but short on time, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. ZipRecruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. Then, ZipRecruiter actively looks for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. Okay, and now it's time for my favorite part of the Recovery Elevator podcast, the interview. Jim, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, Jim. I'm great. 
Thanks for asking. And uh, listeners, a lot of times when you hear a voice, you're kind of, you know, you, you, you make this own image in your mind of, you know, what the person looks like. Yeah, maybe they're tall, maybe they're short, maybe, you know, the athletic build, this or that. Well, we had a Halloween costume contest in Cafe RE, and I can tell you with 100% certainty, we're talking with Walter White. So from Breaking Bad, in your mind right now, just imagine the dude Walter White, and that's who I'm talking to. I mean, when, I, when I saw your photo in the Halloween costume contest, I was like, whoa. And then I do, did a Google image search of Walter White, and I was like, whoa. We have a winner. You actually lost by like three votes to a witch. It's a pretty darn good witch. But uh, yeah, listeners, we got Walter White on the line, a.k.a. Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, how long have you been sober? I've been sober, according to my recovery elevator sobriety tracker, uh, 57 days. Nice. Congratulations, man. How's that feel? Feels good. Feels good. The obsession isn't what it once was. Yeah. And before we get any further, Jim, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living. Yeah, the family, you have any pets. And what do you like to do for fun, Jim? Well, I'm 47 years old. I live in Waukegan, Illinois. I do not cook meth for a living. I'm a truck driver. (laughs) Okay. I have a son. He's 12. What I like to do for fun, uh, I like to read. I did like to work out, but that's something I put on the back burner with recovery and going to meetings, but I hope to get back to doing that and discovering some new things that I would like to do in the world of sobriety and recovery. Jim, I was taking notes there, and I wrote Illinois. There's an S on the end, right? There is, in fact, an S, but it is silent. S for silent. Okay, so people would know right away. I've, I'm not from Illinois. I've never even set foot in that state if I say, hey, what's Illinois like? Well, it depends on what part of the state you're from. I grew up in uh, Chicago, actually. Waukegan's north of Chicago. It's closer to the Wisconsin border. So it's sort of like Chicago light. Yeah, Chicago's a major metropolitan city, obviously. And Waukegan's similar, but on a much smaller scale. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Jim, let's get right into this. Let's talk about some booze, some alcohol, some recovery. Yeah, when did you start to realize that perhaps you had a problem with alcohol? That's a tough one. That's a tough nut to crack. I always knew that I didn't drink like normal people, if there is such a thing as a normal drinker. The first time I drank and actually got a buzz was when I was like 14. And I never liked the taste of beer. I never liked the taste of alcohol. My dad used to give me sips of his whiskey. And I thought it was, why why do people drink this stuff? Well, after I had those four beers when I was 14, I realized why the people drink that stuff. So I always drank for the effect, never for the taste of it. To me, initially, when I was younger, it was more like, going on an amusement park ride you know i was never a frequent drinker you know in my younger days it was more like to have an experience but the the hangover would deter me from drinking any further for months on end over the past few years i realized that it was becoming a problem Uh, it was affecting my overall quality of life my health and then in the past year and a half i just realized that in the past i could quit but there was always like a expiration date on my sobriety and then this time in trying to do it permanently i realized i had a very difficult time quitting and the one thing that turned the tide was one weekend uh, i didn't get my son so i had no plans that weekend and all i did that entire weekend was drink and then i realized that this has to stop 
And Jim, do you think maybe when you said you, you got sober before but that had an expiration date, that this time around when you looked at it like a permanent decision, do you think that might have been why it was so difficult? For example, I know you're familiar with the one day at a time thing, but when I think of not drinking, gosh, you know, at, at like a, my, a wedding, for example, if that ever happens, this and that, like I get anxiety too, not drinking for the rest of my life. Are, is that how you're looking at it or is it still kind of like day by day? Well, that's how I initially, uh, one thing I didn't, one thing I didn't mention when I, you know, my sobriety tracker says I have 57 days. It also says that I've reset it 23 times. So I had trouble coming to the realization, I guess, of that this was going to be permanent. But what really turned it for me was just the fact when I tried to quit this time, I would get a certain amount of days and then I would think, well, I'm just going to have these couple drinks, get it out of my system, then we're right back on the horse. But it would never go like that. It would be a series of day ones resetting my tracker all the time. And I came to the conclusion that it's a hell of a lot easier to stay sober than it is to get sober. So I think this is the easier way to go. And it has worked for me so far. Yeah, at about six minutes, 30 seconds into our interview, Jim, a huge value bomb just dropped right there. And I'm glad you said that because we, we met in person in Dallas, but so much easier staying sober than getting sober because I was sober for two and a half years prior to getting sober this time. And that's what I kept telling myself in, in the back of my head. The narrative was like, well, we've we've done this before. We can easily get back on it. And then, holy buckets, I was scared. I didn't think I was ever going to get sober again. So I agree 100% with you. And let's back it up a little bit, Jim. So what were your drinking habits like, you know, the years leading up to it? And do you ever try to monitor it? Do you have any rules in place? Like I'm not drinking until after 5 p.m. or when I'm not driving a big rig. Yeah, I actually put rules in place and I actually followed them for the most part. Ooh. Yeah, this might be a first. No uh, kidding. Yeah, I promised myself Little I would power never is drink. strong with you. <laughs> don't, don't me I, I promised myself I would never drink while I was asleep and I was able to stick to that. Uh, also, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that, that was, was a joke. Uh, okay, yeah. gotcha. But but also uh, the nature. <laughs> I'm still laughing. <laughs> I've never. Na- <laughs> I promised myself I'd never drink when I was asleep. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I'm on the same page yeah. now. I'm a promise keeper. Anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm still laughing. And due, and due to the nature of my job, I J- hey Jim, Jim, I- I'm the one that says the jokes here. Okay, this is my <laughs> podcast. I'm I lay the jokes out. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. I'm okay, kidding. Keep going. I'll, I'll go to the penalty box for two minutes. But due to the nature of my job, I you know there was no drinking on the job, and I always wanted. I always always committed to when I woke up for work, I wanted to be stone cold sober. But what I would do is I would get off from the time I got off work to when I had to wake up the next morning. That was my window of opportunity. So, you know, they say you could uh, metabolize one serving of alcohol per hour. So I would figure out how many hours I had, how much alcohol I could consume. And that would be my threshold. So you had a uh, and I time. Yeah. Or not so much a cut or a, uh, an amount, a, uh, a threshold for the amount I could drink. But then on the weekends, there was no threshold. So that was another story. So yeah, in that regard, I was able to do it. But if you're going, if you're going through all those steps, you're really not controlling alcohol; it's controlling you. 
Because normal people don't do that kind of shit. You yeah. Know what I mean? Nine minutes twenty into the interview. Nine minutes twenty seconds into the interview, another value bomb dropped. Normal drinkers don't do that stuff. If you're wondering if you do have a drinking problem and you set rules in place like that, gosh, you probably do. Yeah. To back up the question you asked about uh, about the drinking problem, I remember I went to this bar once and I realized I had too much, so I had no intentions of driving home. So I just decided to take a nap in the car and uh, someone from the bar came out, saw, saw me and asked for my keys. And I gave them up right away because I had no intention of driving anyway. But what I planned on doing was just getting my phone and calling an Uber, have them drive me home and then pick up the car later that night. This was in the afternoon. And uh, someone stole my phone at the bar. (laughs) (laughs) So I was. Yeah, so I was stuck there, and knowing you know you're at a bar, you can't drink. You know, I'm g- getting chicken soup and bread and water, and <laughs> <laughs> it was brutal. And then like all the bartenders are looking at you with this like you know <laughs> sympathetic look or you know pitying look. It was just rough, and that that was a sort of a come to Jesus moment for me too, where I was like, dude, what are you doing? You know, this just has to stop. Yeah. And, and so was there a rock bottom moment, Jim? Was was that it? Eating sobriety food, bartenders feeding you chicken soup to get you to sober up? That was a bottom. I'm sort of like, well, I guess it depends on your perspective, but I'm kind of like a, a high bottom drunk, meaning, you know, I didn't get DUIs. I didn't lose my job. I didn't, you know, have any problems with the law most of my drama happened between my ears and that struggle. And, uh, I was sort of, I was sort of like a a one man shit show and I was the only member of the audience. You know what I mean? So my struggle wasn't, you know, from the outside looking in, probably people probably didn't think I had any problems, but, uh, it was a problem for me. And that's the only person that's, uh, has a say in the, (laughs) in the decision. So, so I guess, yeah, I, that my bottom was just, more of an emotional bottom and i there you know i've heard the line on your podcast before you know you can choose your bottom you can put the shovel down anytime you want and uh, i have chosen to put down the shovel i love what you said how the struggle happened between my ears i wrote that down and i'm going to say that again in the future and claim that i'm the one that coined that phrase (laughs) just, just to let you know jim i love that and would you say that because I experienced the same thing it was depression it was anxiety and were those emotions kind of the same motivators that that drove your decision to stop drinking yeah it was uh, like depression there are people that walk the world walk the earth that you know talk nicely to themselves and seem fairly well adjusted well I'm just not one of those people I tend to go to the negative when it comes to myself I always go to the the dark side so to speak so i i've i guess the drinking in some sense it wasn't to like numb my pain i it was more like just to shut my brain off so i wouldn't have to listen to the committee inside my head but you know i'm ingesting a depressant so so that's not a very good cure for depression as it turns out you know so it was sort of like a negative reinforcing loop and it was a chicken and the egg situation at the end. I mean, you just, alcohol had to go if I was ever to address those issues. And I am, I'm working, I go to a 12-step fellowship. I'm going to therapy. 
because I knew once the alcohol was taken away that the issues would still have to be addressed. And, and Jim, I want to talk about you know, kind of the chicken and the egg scenario, which a lot of us find ourselves in that pattern where for me, the anxiety was excruciating, but then I found that alcohol would alleviate it, would alleviate it. Then the alcohol caused the anxiety for me. It was just like this conundrum, this incredible pickle called addiction. And so I make graphics in the private groups cafe. Are you, when I see somebody who's got 30 days, 60 days a year, you know, I'll make these graphics. And sometimes I'm like, man, I'm sick of making graphics, but it's awesome because there's so many people just crushing it. But on the other side, and I was there myself, I had so many day ones and, and Jim, you were one of those guys I would, I would see in the group and I appreciate your honesty. You're, you're just so transparent and upfront with it. You were in a lot of pain and what was that like when, when you were, I mean, you were, there were a lot of day ones for you, for you, Jim. And what was that like? And how do you think you got out of that? Well, I committed, I made a commitment to myself when I first joined the group. This is Cafe Ari Blue, by the way, in case you're scoring at home, everybody, <laughs> that I would be as honest as I could, honest about the good days and honest about the bad. And then if I relapse, I would top to it and not try to hide it, duck out of the group and not post. You know, I would be forthcoming and hopefully because I in the back of my mind I had faith that I would overcome it and then I was thinking well maybe that struggle would help someone else that's going through the same thing I was thinking about this the other day I've come up with a pet name for what I did it's, it's not a theory but uh, I took the little Mac approach to sobriety now let me explain yeah, that. please explain <laughs> I'm, I'm curious do you remember, you're old enough to remember the Nintendo Entertainment System. And there yes, was sir. a game on there. There was a game on there called Mike, Tyson, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, when I played the game in my teen years, I would be able to beat all the boxers, but then Mike Tyson would always kick the shit out of me. And it took <laughs> me forever. Oh, yeah, Little Max Mike the Boxer. Tyson. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, I would... Beat all the boxes, lose to Mike Tyson. There's a key where you could just go straight to Mike Tyson. And, you know, at, at a certain point, it could become demoralizing. But at, on another side, it was like, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. So I sort of had that kind of attitude when it came to this. I'm not going to let this beat me. If it knocks me on my ass, I'm going to get right back up and I'm going to try again. I'll try a different technique. I'll try different tools. I'll try the same tools, but in a different order. I will keep trying until I get it. And I don't care how I gave myself permission to fail. To me, that was very important because a lot of times we bank it all on the, the last go. And if we fail, then we think that it's hopeless. I gave my permission to myself permission to fail, fail as many times as it takes until you succeed. What's that, that line about every time, uh, Edison was trying to invent the light bulb. You know, it was never a failure. He just found another way not to invent the light bulb. Well, I found a lot of ways not for me to stay sober. Uh, I, I love the Mike Tyson punch out analogy. In fact, again, I'm going to use that analogy in the future and say that I coined it. So just to let you know, when you hear that, you're going to see people in the group saying, I love Paul's analogy about you know Mike Tyson, the punch out. But I kind of take copyright 2018 Paul Churchill production. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, so I'm an entrepreneur, right? And I had to take That's that right. mentality of you want to fail fast to be successful. If, if you're afraid of failure, don't ever go into business on your own because you want to fail and you want to fail fast. And I love what you said about you gave yourself permission to fail because with every failure comes an opportunity to learn. 
But let's just uh, real quick. What are some of the boxers? I remember Mac, right? There's Bald Bull. There's a Sandman. There's Don Flamingo. And then Mike Tyson. What were some other ones in there? It was a Glass Joe. Yep. Piston Honda. Oh, yeah. Red. Yeah. And I think you got all the other ones. But I remember I, Mike Tyson just kicked the shit out of you. Yeah, and I used the same Game Genie code, and my brother and I would be like, well, this isn't any fun. He just kicks our ass every time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so yeah, glad but, I thought but, of that analogy. The, <laughs> kudos, my man. <laughs> plus, plus, plus the day that I beat him, it was like, you know, <laughs> you would think you would uh, – there's more important things in life, but remembering the day that you beat Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out, you know, it stays with you. <laughs> well, that was only like like a couple weeks for you, though. So um, that's right. No, I, I wish that console was still set up in the house. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and yeah, so so how did you do it, Jim? Because um, you were in the hamster wheel, I was in it. We eventually got out. How did you do it? Bunch of things. Being involved in the Cafe Re Blue Group. I go to AA. I learned. I I went to online smart meetings. I've had experience with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that helps a lot yeah a bunch of different things one thing my sponsor uh suggested that really helped was he, he told me to make a relapse prevention kit and basically it's just me listing a bunch of things i could do if i feel urges that are strong you know and i just made a list of like 20 25 things something as simple as doing crossword puzzles you know, uh, watching a sporting event, calling my sponsor, posting on Cafe Ari Blue, a bunch of different things. And what I found was just having that, one of the things that always tripped me up was having too much time on my hands. You know, it was never like the traumatic event in my life that led me to drinking. It was always just usually boredom and me getting in my own head too much. So just having that, I... I I only use like two or three things, but knowing that I had a whole series of things I could do to occupy my time made it less intimidating to tackle that time. I don't know if when I relapsed last time, it was over the Thanksgiving holiday. And I think what tripped me up was I got intimidated by having five days off in a row and some plans fell through and I had a lot of free time that I wasn't expecting. So Having that, knowing that I could occupy that free time was a big help for me. You mentioned this sobriety prevention kit, which I think is awesome. Um, you know, you've been sober for almost two months. You've experienced some cravings. And so what do you do when you experience cravings? I try to differentiate between cravings and urges. I don't have a craving, a physical craving for it. It's more of like a psychological urge sometimes when... You know, it's it's not going to be pink cloud forever. Life happens and or just my negative thinking will happen. <laughs> and I have to be cognizant of that. And, you know, as recently as Saturday night through yesterday, I was feeling pretty down. But relapsing was never an option. But I knew it was just a temporary thing. That's an, another thing as far as relapses. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem meaning if you relapse it's gonna you know the, the feelings will pass but that relapse you're gonna have to deal with that longer than the feelings because it's it's hard to get back up on that horse i just choose the lesser of two evils dealing with the emotions 
is not going to be forever. The feelings will not last forever. They will pass. This too shall pass. Yeah, Jim, what have you learned about yourself in these 50-plus days of sobriety? Uh, I learned that I still need a lot of work as far as the thinking is concerned. Not only is alcoholism the ism, but also working on yourself. You know, like I said, I uh, cognitive behavioral therapy tools. I've had those for a long time, but if you don't keep using them, they start to get rusty and you don't use them as frequently. And then it's like a slow decline. So I have to be constantly on guard at the door of my mind to make sure I'm pointed in the right direction. So, you know, I'm still early in in recovery and I have a lot to learn. I'm sure I'll learn more, but uh, it's been a hell of a lot better of a process than where I was before. Because alcohol, not only is alcohol shit, alcohol is a fucking liar. Because everything I used it for turned out to be just the opposite. You drink it to alleviate depression, it makes the depression worse. You drink to become uh, more sociable, to relieve social anxiety, and then you end up just drinking at home alone. It's it's a liar. I agree 100%. And, and big alcohol, you know, the people peddling the poison, they know this stuff. And they do a good job of selling it, right, with advertisements and marketing. And But at the end of the day, it's just what you mentioned. Like, it doesn't relax us. It slows down faculties. And again, it's yeah, not- that's another, and that's another thing. It's like, you know, when you... You're, when you're watching the Super Bowl and they're selling like antidepressants, they give you a long laundry list of side effects. They don't have to do that shit with alcohol. You know, it's not like, you know, may cause male sexual dysfunction, may cause you to lose your job, may cause you to X, Y, and Z. They don't do that on the alcohol commercials, but they should. Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a cost thing. They, the, they have to buy probably like millions and millions of dollars more of airspace because that, that, the list of bullshit, the consequences are like, <laughs> five to six minutes long. I don't know. Um, again, this is not a this podcast is not, you know, to say like, hey, don't drink alcohol. If you're a normal drinker, drink one for me. But I have personally found that life is much better without it. And, and so what is your proudest moment in sobriety? You know, I'm, you should be super proud that, you know, 50 plus days, that's huge. But what is something that you're just like, you know what, I'm – I'm happy. I'm proud that I did that. There's not one moment. I guess I said like my drinking has ramped up in the past year and a half. Well, I now have it used to be I'd go one week, two weeks and then start drinking again. This is the longest sober time I've had in a year and a half. And I I intend to keep breaking records. So I'm proud of what I've accomplished so far, but I have goals. But it is, like you said, one day at a time. And listeners, so we met in Dallas. We uh, at the Recovery Elevator Retreat, the social. And uh, Jim, it was awesome seeing you in person. And I don't know if you enjoyed it, but it looked like you were in your element. You had people around you. You were like cracking jokes. I was writing them down, and then I would go to a group around me and say the exact same jokes. You'd be like, "Hey, listen to this joke I just thought of." <laughs> but man, you were you were on it. I don't I don't know what was that experience like for you. It was surreal. Well, I tell you what, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, this is not a commercial for the cafe I read, but it's one of the best things I ever did. Ever since I joined that group. That's another thing is ever since I joined that group, the percentage of sober to non-sober days increased dramatically. As soon as I joined that group, people were super supportive and I got active in it right away. And 
getting to know these people online, you know, you, that you share things that your best friends probably don't know about you. And when we met in Dallas, it was like, and I mentioned this at the, the Saturday night uh, event, it, it was like meeting some of my favorite TV stars. Because you see these people posting videos online, but yeah, I actually got to met them in person. So it was like sort of being starstruck, you know, but they're, they're stars to me, but not, you know, to the general public. So I was jazzed and I, I was doing like field reports, <laughs> posting it to the group so they could yeah, like, field reports. you know, yeah, I was like the, the Cafe Ari Blue correspondent. I was sending videos out so people could see, you know, hey, I'm standing next to, well, I'm not going to mention names, but everybody, you know, seeing us all together, you know, it was, uh, it was surreal, but I mean, it was one of the best. I had a great time. One of the best times I've had in a long time. So yes, you were right. I was in my element. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, it's a two way street. I, I mean, I was see people <clears throat> walk in the hotel to check in. I'm like, Oh my God, that's Melissa. They get all excited because <laughs> I see these videos too. It's so awesome to meet people in person. And, and Jim, you were actually, you're, you're selling an amazing product. I, I heard about it, and I, I, I tell us more about this powdered water. <laughs> yes, powder. That's, that's I have yet to get the patent, but yeah, it's powdered water. You just add water, and also I, uh, I'm trying to corner the market on sailboat fuel. Those two things, you know. I'm, get close to being a millionaire if yeah, ever I can achieve. I mean, I mean, I feel like water is, it's, we're fortunate where we are. It's, there's a lot of water in Montana and Illinois, but there's countries where if, if they had powdered water and you, you just, I imagine there's a, there's a package, you open it up and you dump the powder in a cup and then you add, wait a second, if you add water, water, then you yeah. are, okay, I, damn it, I suck. All right. You got me good there. You got me good. Sailboat fuel. I'm not, I'm sure that's, it sounds like an amazing product, but I'm sure it's one of the same thing. If I actually think about it, I'm going to look like an idiot on the podcast. Okay. Let's move on, Jim. <laughs> All right, Jim, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am ready. Number one, Jim, what was your worst memory from drinking? This one has to go back in the way back machine. When I just graduated high school, I went to a graduation party and they were showing me how to do tequila shots with the salt and the lime and all that stuff. And I had quite a few practice sessions. And uh, I ended up vomiting so much that I threw up my retainer because I had just got my braces off. And then I did it in the middle of a street in Chicago and didn't realize it till later. So then I had to go back to the location, the scene of the crime, and there it was in little bits and pieces. So. And the hangover the next day wasn't much to write home about either. So that's probably my worst wow. memory. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm not laughing. I'm not, I promise. Um, <laughs> we've all heard of the aha moment. Jim, when was your oh shit moment indicating the gigs up? It was at the moment at the bar and then that weekend where all I did was drink all weekend. That scared the shit out of me. I think one of the first videos I posted in the group was I started to see yets on the horizon. Meaning I hadn't got a DUI yet. I hadn't gotten trouble with the law yet. But if I know it, you know, it's a progressive disease. So if I continue down that road, who knows what could happen. So that was sort of the aha or oh shit moment. Yeah, the yet scale. It's, it's, it's scary and it's all waiting for me too. All the damage and bullshit if I start drinking again. And Jim, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? 
just to continue what I'm doing, I'm working the steps, got a sponsor. I'm going to try to um, continue to learn about myself, learn how I think and some of my maladaptive tendencies to try to put them in check before they get too out of hand and just try to better myself. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. And in regards to sobriety, Jim, what's the best advice you've ever received? One of my favorite lines is, it's not necessarily strictly about recovery, but it's don't judge your insides by someone else's outside, outside, meaning I have a tendency to think that the struggles I'm going through are unique to me. And while I am special, I'm not that special. There's a lot of other people that are experiencing, have the same experiences as me. And when I realized I wasn't alone, that there were other people that had those same kind of thoughts, it sort of bolstered me up a bit. Not that misery loves company, but, you know, you got other people with the same issues. You could help each other. I don't know if that answers the question. No, totally. And what parting piece of guidance do you have to listeners who are in sobriety or thinking about <clears throat> taking that journey? Like we said before, if you're struggling and you're having a hard time sticking, if you get start stacking days, if you get like five, ten days, hold on to that because it's a hell of a lot easier to stay sober than to get sober. And another thing is, and you say this all the time, I'm stealing something from you right now. <laughs> you're not giving anything up. You're gaining something. It might not seem like that at the time, but. What I have gained in these past few months far outweighs anything that I'm missing. Hell, I'm getting interviewed by Paul Churchill, for Christ's sake. If you would have told me a couple of months ago Stop. it was going to happen, Stop. I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> but uh, no, for real, though, I mean, there's things that I never thought I'd be doing, I'm doing. And it's great. And I'm not like Mr. Positivity normally, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I usually fall on the dark end of the spectrum, but, you know, it's been a very positive experience, and I don't I regret it one bit. Jim, thank you for being part of my sobriety. I don't put on these retreats for, for you guys. Like, I kind of selfishly put them on because it's, it's huge sobriety fuel for myself. So thank you for showing up and being a big part of it, man. That was a lot of fun, and I, I look forward to more in-person meetings. It's going to be fun. So thank you for joining us today, Jim. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. The other day, I met a couple friends at a brewery probably around 2 or 3 p.m. for lunch. My friends, who are normal drinkers, they both ordered beers, and when it came to me, I ordered a Sprite. The bartender looked at me and said, a Sprite? And she walked backward to the cooler, still facing me. It was almost like she was walking backward, giving me an opportunity to change my mind. She leans down to the cooler while still looking at me, pulls out the Sprite, gives it to me, and says, here's your Sprite. Now... I've been doing this enough times that when you get a reaction like that, they're most likely worried about their own drinking. It wasn't so much that she was looking at me like I had two heads or speaking a different language, but it was more of astonishment that somebody could come into a brewery, not order a beer, in fact, order a Sprite, and then continue to have conversations with other people who were drinking and be laughing, recalling fun events we had done in the past making fun plans for the future, almost as if my EDR was a non-issue. 
Well, fast forward two weeks, I get a Facebook message from a gal that I know in Bozeman, not well, but I've met several times. She said, hey, I'm reaching out to you because my older sister, she's an alcoholic. She works at this brewery. I'm not going to mention the name of the brewery, but I was like, oh my God, that was the bartender. And again, like I mentioned earlier, usually when I get responses like that, people questioning, well, well why, why, why don't you drink? How, how, how much did you used to drink? I mean, how can you possibly have fun in an environment like this? The questions aren't accusatory. It's almost them asking for themselves. And in this case, that's exactly what it was. Did this bartender reach out to her younger sister because some stranger came into the bar midday, ordered a Sprite, and seemed to be like a functioning normal person? I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with it. I don't know. But props to her younger sister to reach out about her older sister's drinking problem. So there's two points of this anecdote that I'd like to make. Number one is when you say, I don't drink or I'll have a Sprite, somebody responds to you like you're speaking in Polish. From my experience, they're almost odd behavior or they're almost critical questions and remarks. It's them asking for themselves because they're wondering if they have EDR. There we go. Plugged it in right there. And number two, and you never know when you have the opportunity to almost be in stealth recovery mode, to be an example saying, wow, this guy came to our brewery, ordered a Sprite midday, and it seems to be like he's enjoying his life. Holy shit. Mind boggling. Again, I don't know if that conversation had anything to do with her reaching out to her younger sister, who younger sister ironically reached out to me. I don't think the bartender had any idea who I was or that her younger sister knew me. I have no idea. But Stealth recovery, you never know when you have the opportunity to help somebody. So recovery elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We, with EDR, can do this. 